someone has observed that life is like a dollar bill. You can spend it any way you want to, but you can only spend it once. Now, when you spend money, there's only one of two ways that you can spend it, really. You can invest it or you can waste it. Same is true with life. And if you're like me, your life is in a mixed bag of time that you've wasted, time that you've invested. As I have gotten older, I've become more aware of the time that I have wasted. I have often thought I would like to go back and do certain things over again. Go back and tell my younger self not to to do the wasteful things, not to stress over the useless things, to invest my life more and more in things that really mattered. Probably you have had similar thoughts. But what I I know is there is no do-overs in life. We can't go back and redo the things that we wasted and choose to invest it. And since that's the case, we have to, really in a lot of ways, we have to make peace with that. We have to, we can't live our lives regretting, I wish I had done things differently in my 20s. Well, you didn't. Get over it. I wish I had done things differently in my 30s. You didn't. Get over it. Uh, instead of wasting time, really, because that's, that's wasting time instead of investing time. What we can do is choose that from this point on, We are going to invest our lives and not waste it. We don't get a do-over, but we can start from this point on and say, Here and now, I am going to invest my life in what matters. If we were to try to find out how can I best invest my life in what matters, to, I guess you will, to say, to make the rest of my life the best of my life, how would I do that? Well, we might say, if I could ask Jesus, what can I do to make the rest of my life the best of my life? As I was studying this week, I think I found the answer to that. I think I know how Jesus would answer us if we gave him that question. And I think he would say, in part, it is a matter of priorities. That's what we're going to look at today. Open your Bible to Matthew 6 and 33. It's page 738 if you have a pew Bible. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Matthew 6 and 33, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The title of the message this morning is Priorities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We praise you for your grace and for your goodness. We thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to gather and to study your word. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and he would come, that he would quicken our hearts and he would make this word living and active into us. Father, we ask that he would come and use the word like a hammer to knock down strongholds we might have erected that keep us from believing in Jesus and living for him in the way that we should. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and he would use your word like a light to dispel the darkness in our minds that we could see the glory of God in the face of Jesus' cross. Father, let your Holy Spirit use 
Your word like a sword to convict us deeply where we need it and bring us to a place of genuine repentance. Father, let your Holy Spirit help us to lay aside the cares and things of this life that we can be fully focused upon you. Let your Holy Spirit come and let him make our hearts sensitive and surrender to you that we would be willing to do whatever you want us to do. Help us not to push back against your word, but to receive it and let the way we respond demonstrate that Jesus is Lord over our lives. Send your Holy Spirit to fill me and to guide me that my speech and preaching would not be with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of your spirit and your power, that people's faith would stand in you and not in anything that I've said. Be glorified in all that happens. Help us to respond appropriately. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. And, and the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount is to understand that the Sermon on the Mount is given to believers. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, it wasn't primarily to the crowds. Primarily, his main audience were those 12 people who had already committed their lives to him. The Sermon on the Mount teaches us how to live because we've already committed our lives to Jesus. That's what he wanted the disciples to understand. Since you have committed your life to me, since you are going to be my follower and not a fan, this is how you should live. So everything in the Sermon on the Mount, it is for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. What we see in the Sermon on the Mount, this is for us. Right? This isn't for the crowd telling them how to come into the kingdom of God. This is for you and this is for me saying, now that you've entered the kingdom through faith in Jesus, this is how you must live. And as Jesus says here, he tells us that we must first seek the kingdom of God. Right? And what he's doing is he's saying, settle in your mind what is first. Settle in your mind what is your priority, right? Because seek first, that's a priority statement. Don't seek it at some point. Don't seek it when it's convenient. Don't seek it second. Seek it first. Now, the kingdom of God, there's a lot that goes into it, but the basic idea of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is the place where God rules. It is the place where God's will and God's want is done. It is done the way God wants it done. It is done... When God wants it done. So for us, what we are to do, what Jesus is telling his disciples and us, is that our priority, our number one priority in life, is to seek and surrender to his rule in our lives. And that is the central truth we have to understand today. As a follower of Jesus... My first priority is to seek, surrender to Jesus' rule in my life. That is, that is the key to everything as a follower of Jesus. Seek His will and do His will. Seek and surrender to His rule in my life. And like many things, that's easy to say, but what does it look like as we try to live it out? Jesus, in this one verse, he tells us three actions that, that we must take if we are truly seeking and surrendering to his rule in our life as our number one priority. Number one is to surrender to Jesus' rule in all of life. 
To seek first the kingdom of God is to seek the rule of Jesus. It is to seek a place where his will is always done. But notice the way Jesus words this. He doesn't say, seek the world and make them bend to my will. He says, in fact, I like the King James, seek ye. Right? You. The priority for seeking the rule of Jesus in life is not in in the political arena. It is not in the, the way we deal with politics and things like that. The number one way we are to seek Jesus' rule in the world is to seek it first in our lives. But how hypocritical for me to tell unbelievers to surrender to Jesus' will and ways when I'm not surrendering to Jesus' will and ways in my life. So we are to seek first in our lives. The rule and the reign of Jesus in every aspect of our lives. And again, this is a priority issue. We have to prioritize surrendering to Jesus' rule in all of our lives. And as I was thinking about priorities, I, I grew up hearing priorities given like this. Right? God first. Then your family, your wife and your kids then your work, and then money, and then, you know, you had all this other stuff. Now, does anybody else ever grow up hearing this list? Right? This is priorities. Here's how you prioritize your life. And if you prioritize your life this way, that's, that's exactly right. And I grew up hearing this and believing it. And, and I know that if I were to look back on some of the older sermons I preached, I had taught this as the way to have priorities in your life. But in the last few years, the Lord has been dealing with me, and I no longer think this is accurate. And it's not that the list is bad, it's just that it's incomplete. Right? Because we have God, family, work, and money. We've divided up our lives into these sections. But Scripture doesn't divide our lives up into these sections. Right? Scripture says things like, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do do all for the glory of God. Think about that. Do what you do in life down to what you eat and drink to the glory of God. How many of us think like that? Right, this morning when you were eating your bacon and drinking your coffee, were you doing it to the glory of God? I mean, did you, did you think about it in that way? Probably we didn't, but biblically we should. Scripture says things like, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything you do in word or deed, that's everything in life. You do it. In the name of Jesus Christ, you do it as his representative. Right? As believers, as followers of Jesus, we never stop being a follower of Jesus. Right? Everything we do is to be done as his representative. The Bible uses the term as ambassadors for Christ. Now think about American ambassadors. American ambassadors have to be very careful with what they say. Because every word they say is spoken as a representative of our nation. They have to be very careful of everything they do because their every action is taken as a representative of our nation. Now, they don't get to, to cuss people out at the line at Carter's. They don't get to have Facebook rants about people that are stupid. Because if they do, they misrepresent the country and they could lose their job. We are that kind of representative for Jesus. There is never a second in our lives where we don't represent Jesus Christ. Word and deed, drink and eat, 
everything is to be done for his glory. So what we do, we've got this list. God, family, work, and money. And we prioritize it. God first. And then we have our family second. And then we have our job and you know, whatever else we do it. And what we do is we build these, these boxes, these compartments for our life. I have my, my God compartment. And so I spend time with Him first at the beginning of every day. That's my prioritizing God first. And then after God, I, I have my family as second. And then I have my, my work and then my money and, and all of these things. And I have all of these different compartments and I follow them in this particular order. The problem is that these things, these boxes, they never really meet. They never cross influence one another. And that picture of the different compartments, it doesn't, well, it doesn't jive with this. See, there aren't supposed to be compartments to our life. There's just supposed to be our life. And Jesus Rules in all of it. And so Paul will say, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Our bodies, that's more than our physical bodies. The idea is that of, of our life. And what we often can miss is the extent to which the idea of presenting our bodies as a sacrifice extends. And so I love the message paraphrase here. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. Place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. I love that. That's exactly the picture in Romans 12. That is exactly the picture there. We take all of our life, our ordinary, everyday, walking around, eating, sleeping, going to work, dealing with people's life, and we place that before God. We don't have compartments in our life. We have our life. And Jesus rules in every part of it. And when we begin to to seek and surrender to Jesus' rule in every part of our lives, it changes how we do things. Right? So, we don't have a God compartment. And we don't just like go to God in the mornings and then we're done and we go on about our day. Instead, Jesus is Lord over my God compartment, over the God part of my life. And, my, and rather than just going, I'm going to go and read my Bible and check a box, I begin to say things like, what does Jesus want me to do in my relationship with Him? Does Jesus want me to begin a quiet time if I don't have one? Does Jesus want me to begin to have a time of prayer if I don't have one? Does He want me to extend the quiet time or the prayer times that I already have? Does Jesus want me to tell somebody else about how good and great and wonderful He is and what He's done for me in my life? Right? My, my family compartment. It becomes, we begin to say things like, what does Jesus want me to do regarding my family? Does Jesus want me to work more on loving my wife as Christ loves the church and giving myself for her? Does Jesus want me to be more intentional about training up my children the way they should go so that when they're old they'd not depart? Does Jesus want me to, to teach my children what it is to sacrifice and share the gospel? Does Jesus want me to help them find and use their spiritual gift? 
What does Jesus want me to do regarding my family? How does Jesus want me to act on the job? Does Jesus want me to be kinder to my coworkers? If I'm an employee, does Jesus want me to work for them as unto Him? If I'm the boss, does Jesus want me to treat my employees in a way that respects the fact they are made in His image and, and gives them the dignity that they deserve? Does He want me not to be a man-pleaser, but just to work my very best, no matter what anybody says or what anybody sees? What does Jesus want me to do on the job? What does Jesus want me to do with my money? Does Jesus want me to start tithing if I never have? Does He want me to increase my tithe if it's always remained the same? Does he want me to take some money and pay the bill of someone I know that's struggling? Does he want me to buy groceries? What does Jesus want me to do with my money? See, these are the kind of questions we ask when Jesus rules all of our lives. This is the kind of questions we ask when we are seeking and surrendering to Jesus' rule in every area of our lives. And this is the way as believers... These are the kind of questions all of us are meant to be asking. This is the way we are all supposed to live. There is no second level and and higher up Christians are supposed to think like this. This is newborn believers to long term Christians are all supposed to seek and surrender to Jesus' rule in every area of their lives. Compartmentalization is not a biblical principle. Instead, the Bible says there is one compartment, and Jesus rules all of it. We have to do this if we are going to seek and surrender to Jesus' rule in our life as our first priority. Secondly, seek a life of personal purity. See, we're not only to seek the kingdom of God, but also for His righteousness. Now, in the Bible... There are two types of righteousness described. One is positional righteousness, and one is practical righteousness. Positional righteousness is the righteousness we are given when we believe in Jesus Christ. The moment we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ, all of our guilt and all of our condemnation is taken away, and the righteousness of Christ is put into our account, and we are righteous in God's eyes. But there is also practical righteousness. Practical righteousness is just the way that we live. The things that we do. See, the Bible, we are not only meant to to be righteous through Jesus, we are also meant to do righteous because of Jesus. Since Jesus has changed me, I live that change out. Since Jesus has saved me, I'm going to live as though Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. And both are probably meant in this passage, but in my mind, I think practical righteousness is the main emphasis because practical righteousness demonstrates that Jesus is Lord over my life. Living a life according to His will and His one involves just the, the purity, the, the morality that I follow. The The purity that I was taught as a kid was all about the things that you don't do. You don't smoke, dip, drink, or chew. You don't date girls who do. This is, and as long as you 
don't do these things. You are, you are good to go. You're holy, pleasing to the Lord. But the righteousness, the, the personal purity the Bible describes is far more than the stuff that we don't do. It covers our, our attitudes and actions and, and everything. And, and there is an Old Testament passage that I think illustrates it best. Psalm 24. And in Psalm 24, 3, David says, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place. And David's question there, really, to, stand, to ascend to the hill of the Lord, stand in his holy place, the idea is who can be in the presence of God? Who gets to live a life experiencing the presence of God with them? That's a question David wanted answered because he loved the Lord. That's, that's a question probably we want answered. We wouldn't be here if we didn't want to know how to be closer to the Lord, experience His presence more in our life. So David asked the question, but then he gives the answer. He who has clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. Now you can't help but notice the emphasis on personal purity in that passage. Who gets to experience God's presence in their lives? Those whose hands are clean, that's purity. Who has a pure heart, purity. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, purity, nor sworn deceitfully, purity. And if we want to be close to the Lord, have a deep and abiding relationship with Him, experience His presence in our life, personal purity is a key part of this. And David describes personal purity in a way that I love because it covers every aspect of life, right? There's pure in my conduct, clean hands. The hands in Scripture often symbolize the things that we do, the actions that we take. So a person with clean hands is a person who lives a pure life. A person with dirty hands is a person who lives an impure life. And so we are to have, if we want to, to be close with the Lord, He has to be pure in my conduct. We have to ensure that all the actions we take are morally, spiritually, and biblically pure. Second, I have to be pure in my devotion. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. What we tend to do is dismiss something like that quickly. Because, I mean, we don't, probably we don't know anybody that worships an idol. I mean, how many of us know people who have a little idol that they pray to and bow and expect that to deliver them and help them? Probably not many of us. So we think, well, that's not, there's no idolatry, it's not a problem. But, you know, in, in all honesty, the essence of idolatry is just to let something other than Jesus be the, the place of priority in our lives. In, in Ezekiel, God talks about having idols in their hearts. Just anything that we put before God, that we say, this is more important than doing God's will, that can become an idol. And since an idol can be anything that we focus on over Jesus, an idol can be a home, a job, money, position, pleasure, a boat, sports, you name it. Anything in life can become an idol. And what makes this so difficult is is that these aren't bad things. Right? Very rarely is idolatry in our culture do we idolize things that are inherently evil. Instead, what happens is we take good things and we make them evil things by making them ultimate things. You see, the moment I take anything 
and I make it ultimate in my life. This is what my life is about, and that is not God. I have made this, whatever it is, an evil thing. I have made it an idol. So we have to be pure in our devotion. We have to always fight to ensure Jesus is ruling every area of our lives. That what rules us isn't money or status or stuff or a job, but Jesus is Lord. He is the focus of our lives. But I also have to be pure in my speech. Who has not sworn deceitfully? Lying is a, something that's an issue. And, and the reason lying is an issue is because of, of God. The Bible tells us that God is true. The Bible tells us that the Son of God is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible tells us that the Word of God is true. The Bible tells us the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. The Bible also tells us that Satan is the father of lies. And that when he lies, he speaks his own language. So when we are deceitful, we are far more like the enemy of our souls than the Savior of our lives. And and God takes that very seriously. Scripture speaks over and over again about God hating lying. If you read Proverbs 6, it talks about things God hates and things that are an abomination to Him. Lying is mentioned at least two different times. If we want to have a close relationship with God, be pure in our life, we have to be honest in our speech. And I would say that we can take like Ephesians 4 about letting no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. And we could apply that here as well. Just as our speech should be honest, it should also be pure. It should not be in ways that are dishonoring to who God is and what God is like. And then finally, pure in my heart. And I went out of order on purpose because the heart is really the key to it all. Purity of heart is the most important aspect of everything. Because if our hearts are pure, everything else is going to be pure. And the, the, the purity teaching I had as a kid, that's where it failed. It was all about, don't do these bad things. right? Don't cuss and don't lie. Just don't do them. But it wasn't about, be changed in your heart and be different on the inside. Just knuckle all of that stuff under. And the message of Scripture is not knuckle it under. It is that Jesus changes us and He makes us into entirely new people. Purity of heart is the key to personal purity. Because what's in our heart comes out in our lives. This is true in what we say. This is true in how we act. This is true in every area of our lives. We can look at the actions we take on a regular basis and we can see the condition of our hearts based off of that. Personal purity is a key part of prioritizing Jesus' rule and reign in our lives. David, he goes on to say that the person who does this, the person who seeks purity, they shall receive blessing from the Lord. Now, I want you to understand this because we all want to be blessed. That's a huge thing in our day. We want God to bless our lives. The reality is God will not bless our lives if we are not seeking personal purity. 
I cannot live in rebellion against the will and the word and the ways of God and expect God to be okay with it and just pour blessings out on our lives. God blesses us as we strive to do his will and to be pure as he wants us to be. But also notice that he says that this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. And what he's saying is those who genuinely seek God, they strive for this kind of purity. Those who really want to experience God in their lives, those who are truly seeking the face of God and the will of God and want to experience the presence of God in their lives, they seek for purity in their lives. Honest truth. You cannot seriously say you are seeking God if you are not seeking personal purity as well. Cannot walk in sin and in a close relationship with God at the same time. One kills the other. Always. And if we are going to make seeking the rule and the reign of Jesus in every area of our lives our priority, we have to seek personal purity. And then finally... Seek to live confidently in the promises of Jesus. And the very last thing Jesus says in this verse is, And all these things shall be added unto you. Now what are the, the these things that Jesus is going to add to our lives if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness? The verse we're looking at is part of a larger context that starts in verse 25 and it goes on to verse 34. And it's Jesus talking about worry. And in he's talking about worry, he mentions things that we might seek first instead of him. And he warns us not to worry about those things. And we don't have time to go into an in-depth thought of what he said, but I do want to kind of look at a few things. So turn to verse 25 of Matthew 6. Jesus says, therefore, I I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, let me explain what he's not saying when he says don't worry about these things. He's not saying don't plan. The Bible says. Especially Proverbs speaks often about the importance of planning. He's not saying don't take a job, you know, just sit in church and sing psalms and God's going to bring everything into your life. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is don't allow the desire for food and clothing and money and stuff to become the driving force in your life. I mean, isn't that really a a driving force in, in our culture? I mean, money and stuff and pleasure and power, this is what our culture seeks after. This is what our culture wants. And in a lot of ways, success is defined by the amount of money and stuff and pleasure and power that we have, isn't it? Someone who has a a nicer car is often seen as more successful than someone who has a, a lesser car. Someone with a higher paying job is more successful. Someone with more influence is more successful. 
And so, because we don't want to be seen as a failure, and we, we do want money and stuff, it is easy to let this stuff become the driving force of our lives. Let people recognize and acknowledge all that we have and all that we've done, how successful we are. I mean, this is the reason people drive themselves into overwhelming debt. They buy all this stuff they can't afford and don't need to impress people they really don't like. But they want them to see them as successful. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. And he gives us some reasons for it. Look at verse 31. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He gives us two reasons not to let Money and stuff, success and power become the focus of our lives. Number one is that that's how unbelievers live. That's how people who don't know Jesus live. And there's meant to be a difference between unbelievers and believers. Between pagans and Christians. And our lives ought not be characterized by the same desires and the same focuses and the same priorities. We know God. And we know Jesus. And we know that what He gives us now is better than what the world offers without Him. And we know that what He will give us then is far better than anything the world offers now. So we don't make this the focus of our lives. And secondly, because He knows what you need. You see, God isn't, He doesn't have this sort of unrealistic expectation about how we're going to live. God doesn't expect us all to take vows of poverty and live in sackcloth on the street. He knows what we need. But there is a fear that if we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and trust that He will add these things to our life, there is a fear that in some ways God won't come through. We're afraid that if we truly Seek first His kingdom. If we make seeking and surrendering to the reign of Jesus in our lives the first priority, that we are dooming ourselves to a penniless, possessionless, joyless existence. That seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness it is the end of all things good in our lives. Now we... We wouldn't word it like that. We would have flowerier way to say it. But in the end, when we begin to say, well, it's just not realistic to give like that. Nobody can actually live in that way. That's what we're saying. We're afraid that God will not give us all these things. I think the reason for that is because we tend to view things as Americans and not as Christians. Because the reality is, as Americans, we view the world differently than everybody else does. We have a lot of stuff as Americans. America, the nation, may not be the richest nation in the world, but per capita, we are probably the most wealthy people in the world with more freedom and more ability to get stuff 
than anyone else in the world. I mean, we, we have such an ability to get stuff that we think the newest iPhone is a, a need. We have to have it. Right? We, our lives are filled with wants that we believe are needs. And Jesus hasn't promised to meet all of our wants, but he has promised to meet all of our needs. And that's where the rub lies. Because what Jesus knows we need and what we think we need aren't always the same thing. We think we need the Lincoln Navigator. We think we need the upgraded computer. We think we need the bigger, the better, the faster. And Jesus says those are those are wants. If you seek me first, if you prioritize your life around seeking and surrendering to my rule in your life, I will give you what you need. And boy, that's a big trust issue, isn't it? I have to trust not only that Jesus will come through and give me what I need, but I have to trust that what Jesus gives me is truly all that I need. That if he doesn't give me the Lincoln Navigator, but a Ford Pinto, that's what I needed. That if he doesn't give me the big house, but the one room house, that's what I needed. That if he doesn't give me the big promotion, but I get a, I get a cut in my salary, that's what I needed. Man. It's huge. That's hard. But that's what he's saying. He is saying, if we make seeking and surrendering to his rule in our lives the number one priority, he will give us what we need. And what we have to do is believe that what he knows is best and that he will do what he has said he will do. And then we can live confidently. What we have and what we get is what Jesus wants us to have. And it is at this moment what we need. As I was finishing the message, I was going to end with a question and end with, is seeking and surrendering to the rule of Jesus the number one priority of your life? But I don't know that that's really the right answer to end with, the right question to end with. Because, one, that's an easy to give a yes to and not really think about it. But I think there's a more important question. The question is, do I want that? Do I really want to make the number one priority of my life seeking and surrendering to the, the rule of Jesus? Do I want really to surrender to Jesus' rule in every area of my life? I mean... My relationship with him, relationship with my family, relationship with friends, how I'm on the job, my money, my, my everything. Do I really want to surrender all of that to Jesus? Do I really want to seek a life of purity? The honest truth is many times we don't live purely because we don't want to live purely. Deep down we like our sin. 
There's pleasure in it. And so what? We do it. Do I really want to live purely? And do I really want to be confident that what Jesus gives me is all I need? And not focus on getting what I think I need myself. That's the most important question. Do I really want Jesus' rule to be the first priority of my life? Because if you can't answer yes to that, nothing else matters. We rarely do what we don't want, at least not for very long. And so you can try to knuckle it under and you can say, I'm going to do it. But if that's really not what you want out of life, you won't stick with it very long. Do you really want that? And the thing is, that's hard. I I mean, I was thinking about, do I really want it? And I think it's easy to say, well, yeah, I really do. But when I start thinking about living, I mean, just really. Gosh, what kind of changes might Jesus make in the way that I do things? Do I really want that? And So maybe for us today, the first thing is for us to begin to just say, God, help me to want that. You know, it is important that we are honest about things with God. If we don't want to live under the reign of Jesus in every area of our lives, there's no point in praying a big pious prayer. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Rule in every area of my life and let your will be done. He sees through that. But we can be honest with him and say, it's tough, Jesus. Scary. Help me to want this. Help me to seek this. Help me to surrender this. And as we do, he he can begin to change our hearts and change our desires to the fact that we we want what he wants. So maybe today the first step for you is just to start saying, help me to want what you want. Help me to surrender. Help me to want to live the way you want me to live in full surrender to you. And then begin to just. Listen for His Holy Spirit to speak to you about changes that you need to make, things that you need to do. Because we're none of us perfect. We're all on the journey. And there's work to be done. He'll do the work if we'll listen, if we'll obey, and if we'll follow. Let's.